What's going on, Dodgers Nation? Welcome to another episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. My name is Doug McCain, credential member of Dodgers Media. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And we are 43 days away from opening day. We are Raul Mondesi days away. We are Noah Syndergaard days away. I know, I can't believe I brought up Noah Syndergaard. I won't do that again. I mean, of all the pitchers in baseball history, he is definitely one of them. By the way, Noah Syndergaard, the third highest ERA through 12 starts in Dodgers history, a 716 ERA. Never forget that era. But today we got a jam-packed show, a jam-packed show. Gavin Lux is cleared for all baseball activities. What does that mean for his spring? How will they play him? Can we trust him at shortstop? Also, Miguel Vargas, future outfielder for the Dodgers. Yoshinobu Yamamoto revealed why he signed with LA. And then Dave Roberts, he offered some insights as to the Dodgers pitching plan. Will they go with a six-man rotation this season? We'll ask you guys that over on Twitter. Should the Dodgers go with a six-man rotation? And for today's Dodgers dugout poll question of the show, 85% of you said yes. 15% of you said no. So most Dodgers fans right now want to see LA go to a six-man rotation. We're going to dive into that topic, throw out some grades, jam-packed show today. But first, if you haven't yet, do us a huge favor and subscribe to the number one Dodgers YouTube channel in the game. Hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, hit that like button. And also, if you want to be eligible for all of our giveaways, you just got to do two things. You have to make sure you're subscribed to the channel one, and then comment done down below. We also want all of your comments down below in the comment section. Let's dive right into those comments. No, no, no. Jacob tweeted, LA going to be a six man for years to come with three Japanese starters on the front line. That's a fantastic point. And you are talking about a Otani. Shohei Otani's going to be back on the mound in 2025. You have Yoshinobu Yamamoto under contract for 12 years. You could get Roki Sasaki, and I think that really points to a future six-man rotation. We're going to get into that in a second. Then we got Let's Go from Philip Subia. By the way, I'm looking for that Dodgers dugout live comment of the show. If I see one of those, you're going to see one of these. So definitely bring those comments. I got super producer, Mr. Gary Lee over there looking for your comments. We got, I personally like the Guggenheim patch on the jersey. Yeah, that's the big reveal this morning. We're talking about those jerseys, not just the patch, but Jason Hayward modeling that jersey. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I have a clip I'm going to play for you from my interview with the world's foremost expert in sports uniforms, Paul Lucas. But yeah, quick thoughts on that patch. Go all over Twitter. You can see the patch. It says a little bit of a blue look, the Guggenheim Baseball Group logo. And I will say, you guys know how I'm a purist when it comes to uniforms. You guys know that I've said it for years that enjoy the 2023 Dodgers uniform last season because I told you it was the last season. It was going to be perfection. So it's not perfection anymore because there's a jersey patch on it, but I'm not going to complain too much because every time I see that Guggenheim jersey patch, I'm going to think of one number. And you know what number that is? 1.2, as in $1.2 billion is how much they committed this offseason. So if that jersey patch does anything to help this team acquire top-level talent, I'm okay with it. At least they didn't do anything god-awful like the Atlanta Braves, their jersey patch, or the Diamondbacks jersey patch. But it's definitely a little bit of a sad day for Dodgers fans that are purists for the jersey like myself. I mean, just think, the NFL, the NFL the biggest league on the planet, the most profitable league on the planet is now the only really major sport that doesn't have advertisements. So shout out to the NFL 
for that. So as you can see, I'm not a big fan of the jersey patch, but I will live with the Guggenheim one because of what they did this offseason. But LFG, my wife loves the Valentine's Day DMAC. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day, Nando. We got Showtime LA DMAC, LFG, Joshua. If it wasn't for them, we couldn't have spent all this money this offseason. That's from Joshua. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there you have it. It could be something that's awful. And I mean, I know some people want to see in and out They wanted to see just all kinds of crazy names. But I think, look, the fact that it's the Guggenheim group, you saw, started to see that Guggenheim logo in the, the step and repeat backdrops at the press conferences. So I kind of had a feel that they were trying to increase their branding efforts. But like I said, it's not as bad as some of the ones we've seen around Major League Baseball. So, I mean, like I said, go look at the, the Atlanta Braves jersey patch sponsor. It is not pretty. I mean, any of them that are a different color, they're a concrete company. It's a yellow concrete company. That is but ugly right there. At least it's a little more sleek than that. But we got Deborah Young. It's time for Dodger baseball. DMAC LA, you rock. You rock right back at your will. We got QIs. Let's go Dodgers. I'll give you a comment of the show for that. We got, are we going to have two city connects? Yeah, there's another. I just kind of start with this Jersey talking. You guys are talking Jersey. You guys know I can talk sports jerseys all day long. And yes, it was also announced that. Or is that a rumor? It wasn't formally announced, but it is a known fact that the Dodgers are going to have a new city connect. So they went with the Smurf Blues, the Blue Man Group Blues, head to toe with the Los Dodgers on the hat, the Los Dodgers on the top. You had the splatter on the sleeves with the graffiti. And then the following year, they saw a different iteration of that where they switched it up with the, the white pants with the black piping down the side and now they're going to get a new Dodgers jersey a new City Connect jersey and I think it's going to be really cool and I don't forgot who tweeted this I saw this I think on Reddit or Twitter that the idea was why don't you use for the inspiration of the Dodgers City Connect why don't you use the different colors of the decks and I think that'd be an awesome idea I mean look we've seen blue jerseys I think if you want to have a blue alternate on the road, I could sign off on that. But don't just go blue for the sake of going blue. If you want to go crazy, I think the cool thing about City Connects is, hey, let's go crazy and see what you can come up with. So I love that idea of going with the different colors of the decks for the jersey. If you do not know, by the way, all the colors are supposed to represent different places in California and represent Los Angeles. The field level, that's yellow for the sun. Then you got the loge is orange for the sandy beaches. Then you got the deck above that, seafoam green. That's to represent all the green life in California, the beautiful trees. And then the very top is blue where the ocean meets the sky. So that was the whole idea behind that. I think it's really awesome. Like I always say, if the pilgrims landed in California first, the East Coast would still be wilderness. But uh, I definitely like the idea of doing that. What are your guys' thoughts on the possibility of changing up those City Connect uniforms? Any ideas? What are your thoughts on the jersey ad patch? Like I say, hey, I, I, in the, I would probably be really triggered and upset if it was just some random Bitcoin brand or some type of crypto brand or something like that, something tasteful. But when I see Guggenheim, I'm going to think, okay, 1.2 Billy, you made this team 
a absolute juggernaut as far as on paper. So got to give him credit for that. But uh, here we go. Edwin Rios days away. I like that. Just Lama's throwing out Edwin Rios days away. We're Raul Mondesi days away. We're Noah Syndergaard. Oh my God. You know, I wish I could just etch a sketch that from my memory, the Noah Syndergaard era. Like I said, Thor was a thud in Dodger blue, the third worst ERA through its first career, 12 starts in Dodgers history at seven, one, six. By the way, it hurts me to say this. You know, it was the, you know, we had the worst ERA through his first 12 starts at Dodgers history. It was none other than the tornado himself. Mr. Hideo Nomo in 2004 had a 226 ERA. Then how about Carlos Perez at 225? So yeah, definitely not some great marriage, but happy Valentine's Day, DMAC. Happy Valentine's Day right back at you guys. Queso Crema. Yeah, we're gonna do a little segment of designated Twitter. We're gonna bring that back later in the show. Ask you guys over on Twitter. Which Dodgers player made you fall in love with this team? And what do you love most about this organization, about your Los Angeles Dodgers? We'll get into that, but let's get right into the lead story. And Nando, we're going to talk about Vargas in a second here, but the lead story is Dave Roberts was asked about the six-man rotation. And here's what Dave told Bill Plunkett. He said that I think the downside is just kind of when you do that with off days, there are other guys that don't need all that extra time. So you're just kind of trying to be as sensitive to everyone and that middle to get guys ample time in between starts, but also not giving certain guys too much time. So there's a little middle that you're trying to deal with. So what he's basically trying to say there is, Look, not every single pitcher in the Dodgers rotation needs or wants to be a part of a six-man rotation. And you look at the pros and cons of a six-man rotation because you've heard that mentioned quite frequently this offseason because Yoshinobu Yamamoto was signed. Because you're going to Otani next season as your ace, you could have Roki Sasaki. And in Japan, you're pitching once a week. They don't play as many games. They're on a different schedule than major league pitchers. And if you go to a six-man rotation, if you're a pitcher who stays healthy, you're talking about the difference of 27, 28 starts versus possibly 31 starts. Now, it's unrealistic to think that a pitcher is going to go wire to wire and be healthy the entire season. But on top of that, you don't make as many starts, but pitchers are closer to being 100% when they're out there on the mound. So in theory, they can be more effective. They can go deeper into games, but really the six-man rotation is about development. And are you trying to develop young pitchers and make it a little easier to transition to a big league routine? Because some pitchers, they do not need it. And I think that to Dave's point, you look at a six-man rotation and it sounds like it's a good idea, but let's not ignore the fact that injuries in Major League Baseball have gone up, whether it be high velocity. Most people think it's because we're in the velo revolution. Every pitcher is trying to throw as hard as they can every single pitch when they're trying to throw that heater. Also, the pitch clock, right? The pitch clock has sped things up. There's some dialogue, some discourse about have injuries gone up because of that. I'm not so sure. Rich Hill recently said, on baseball tonight's podcast of Buster only that he believes that it is a reason for it. So pitchers injuries are at an all time high. And because of that, yes, you have a lot of depth, but it's inevitable that you are going to have guys go down. And when guys go down, you really have to plug them in into those spots. So I think really, when you look at this rotation, it's more about the three 
series of these rotations, right? I think that the rotation at the beginning of the season is going to look different than the rotation at the middle of the season, and that's going to look different than the rotation at the end of the season. I think at the beginning of the year, you are going to have Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Tyler Glass now, and Bobby Miller right there, one, two, and three. Then at number four, Walker Buehler is not going to be ready yet, right? Walker Buehler is someone that's going to start the season on the IL. They are going to slow play things with Walker Buehler. And he said recently that he's feeling good, that he's on track. Brandon Gomes, the Dodgers GM, he told me that his bullpen sessions have been outstanding, but he is hitting 92 and 94 in those bullpen sessions. So from a velocity standpoint, you want to see him increase that velocity, get closer to the 98 mile per hour heat throwing butane that we saw i want to see butane back and right now even in bullpen sessions he's not looking like butane but he's getting there and really a lot of pitchers will tell you that yes you can return from tommy john surgery in 12 13 14 months but you don't start feeling like yourself out there on the mound until maybe a year and a half maybe two years right 24 months getting that feel back getting that comfort back there on the mound so I like the idea of slow playing Walker Bueller and with that you are going to have one of these young guys emerging and look sometimes spring training is incredibly interesting as far as position battles but you look at the position player side that roster is full right you have all 13 of those roster spots accounted for right now and you look at the pitching side really it's going to come down to we can talk about the bullpen we'll do that probably tomorrow as far as the position battles, but really the biggest one to keep your eyes on during the spring is who is going to be the Dodgers number five starter because heading into spring training, you've got Yamamoto glass now, Bobby Miller, and then hopefully James Paxton and everything works out for James Paxton. He makes that active roster on opening day, gets that $2 million bonus, which he's after. And then it comes down to that fifth roster spot. And then you got Ryan Yarbrough, Gavin Stone, and Emmett Sheehan, all capable starting pitchers. Yarbrough has the most experience. Sheehan had the best year at the big league level last season, and Gavin Stone might have the biggest upside of all of them as a starting pitcher because of where he was at heading into next last season as the Dodgers' first high-level prospect that got an opportunity. So Gavin Stone is someone that I think that you need to, if you sold any of your Gavin stock, any of your Gavin Stone stock, go and get it back. Yes, Stone was rocky in his big league debut, gave up five runs and four innings against the Phillies. Yes, he was rocky after that against the Braves and the Tampa Bay Rays. If you look at his first three starts last season, 10 innings allowed 23 hits, 16 earned runs, 17 runs total, seven walks to five strikeouts. Anytime you have more walks and strikeouts, that's bad news. Opponents were hitting 451 and slugging 667 off of Gavin Stone. And he was optioned down to AAA. And in AAA, he was much better. And the question becomes, wait, why did Gavin Stone struggle? What was wrong with Gavin Stone? He was supposed to have the best changeup. You guys have heard me say it. His changeup is nastier than a gas station bathroom. But the difference was, one, he was not getting ahead in counts. He was falling behind, wasn't getting strike one. And two, he was overly reliant on that fastball changeup combination. I was breaking down Gavin Stone a few weeks ago 
with my friend, Mr. Casey Port of Dodgers Daily. And we were talking about how he can be effective. And the big difference for him is if you're throwing your four-seam fastball up in the zone, if you're throwing your changeup, you're trying to tumble down the zone, it makes you wonder, do you need some east-west? Do you need a cutter and a two-seam fastball to get those strikes early in counts? And that's exactly the adjustment that Gavin Stone made last season. He started implementing that cutter, that two-seam fastball, and you saw a much more balanced approach because what was happening at the big league level is he wasn't throwing strikes. He was falling behind in counts and hitters, big league hitters were sitting on changeups. We're sitting on fastballs. Now he has a more complete arsenal to attack hitters. Those types of pitches, the forcing fastballs up in the zone, the changeups that are tumbling down the zone, the North and South, that's what you want to use to get hitters out for your put away pitches. But to get strikes early in at-bats, you want the east and west. You want the cutter. You want the two-seam fastball. And that's exactly what Gavin Stone did. He was much more effective at the AAA level. Had a really good start against the Red Sox where he came in out of the bullpen in an appearance and unfortunately gave two home runs late in that one because he shouldn't have been back out there. But he definitely flashed some potential. And at Dodger Fest, I caught up with Gavin Stone. I asked him about one implementing that curve, implementing that cutter and that sinker. And then two, if he feels a little more relaxed heading into this season. And here's what Gavin Stone had to say. First, we do anything to help the team. Okay. A little technical difficulties there, but we'll get back to that clip of Gavin Stone in a little bit here. But yeah, bottom line is that he said it himself. He told me, he's like, yeah, that was big time for me. Adding that, adding that cutter, adding that sinker, getting back to kind of the pitcher I was. So don't sleep on Gavin Stone. I'm telling you, Gavin Stone is a stone's throw away from being the number five starter for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then you got Emmett Sheehan. Emmett Sheehan might have the best fastball in the organization. I've had people in the organization tell me that. The most explosive four-seam fastball within this Dodgers organization. And he was a great story last season. He was called up from double-A Tulsa. And his first start, he was outstanding. He had six no-hit innings against the Giants. He was just the third pitcher in baseball history to get that done in his first big league start. So think about that. That's historic. Was one of just three pitchers in big league history to have six no-hit innings in his big league debut. If it wasn't for Mookie Betts, his base running at the end, a rough at night for the bullpen, he probably wins that game. And then he ended up having... Some good starts after that, had some rough outings. He was able to get a four-inning save against the Oakland A's, but he was ultimately sent down to AAA to make room for the trade of Ryan Yarbrough when they acquired him from the Royals. And if you look at his numbers as a whole, he had a 563 ERA, 30 punchies, 18 walks, and 38 in the third innings. But then he had a really nice start. September 27th, 10 punch-outs. 
And that month, of course, he really was a lot better. 368 ERA, 39% strikeout rate. So this is someone who has the potential to be a high strikeout guy who can dominate in the zone. And that is something that I really appreciate about him. And if you don't know the story about Emmett Sheehan, this guy absolutely changed the trajectory of his career during the COVID-19 lockdown. During the COVID-19 lockdown, he completely changed his routine. He told a story to the LA Times, I remember back last season, where he went to look at the top 500 prospects, expecting to see his name on that list when he was at Boston College. And despite getting roughed up that year, he keeps going down, he's scrolling down, he's like, uh-oh, no Emmett Sheehan, not even in the top 500. So he was a little discouraged by that, and he realized that he was not putting in the work that he needed to be putting in. And what he did was change his routine and the same platform you guys are watching this show on, that's where he was at, on YouTube. On YouTube, he watched Jacob deGrom. He watched Garrett Cole. And he analyzed all their game and their mechanics and the downward drive to the mound to build more force and more momentum to the plate. That's one thing he focused on and tweaking his delivery to give him that downward momentum to the plate. And what happened was he executed on that and the fastball velocity, it increased. It went up to the mid nineties. He can touch 96, 97. He's someone that has the movement and that changed everything. And also he looked at Jacob deGrom and he tried to literally emulate his delivery. He said that, it had to be less herky-jerky, a little more smooth, keep those movements a little more consistent, and he turned himself into a big league pitcher a few years after that. So I love his story, and I root for him. I think Emmett Sheehan definitely is someone that you want to see in a swingman role because a swingman for Emmett Sheehan, you're not just relying on him as a starting pitcher. I think for him, you want to optimize him by putting him in spots where he can have success. And sometimes, yeah, that could be as a starter, maybe in a piggyback situation with Clayton Kershaw a little later on. But I like Emmett Sheehan heading into this year. All the potential in the world. And then there's Ryan Yarbrough. So Ryan Yarbrough is not going to have very much hype surrounding him. You're not going to see many Ryan Yarbrough jerseys at Dodger Stadium, right? I mean, that's just not a type of player that does that. I mean, he's someone that is consistent. Do you guys even know Ryan Yarbrough's number? Let me see if I can see it down below in the, in the comment section. Who knows Ryan Yarbrough's number with the Dodgers? First to get it, gets a silver new nothing with a hole in the middle. That's what my grandma would give me. Hep for real, Justin Lamas comments. Most firm show on YouTube. I like that big. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Firm. Firm might, might change it. I have a firm change up. Uh, Muncie is like slightly above average. We could talk to Max Muncie in a little bit. Op Op Muncie been averaging 30 plus home runs a season every now and then. We got uh, 56. There you go. Conservative Zach's got it. 56. 56. BC says 23. Yeah, that is his number 56. But Ryan Yarbrough is someone that he, I think, is going to have a sneaky good season for the Dodgers. I really, really do. And if you look at that mix, Sinker, curveball, cutter, changeup. It's the first time that he went with that sinker as his dominant pitch since 2018. And he just has a very deceptive delivery. Does not throw gas, has one of the lowest velocities in all of Major League Baseball, but he misses barrels. And the bottom line is he produces. He had a 3-1-2 ERA with the Dodgers, a 3.57 FIP when he was used in that swingman role where he was not a starting pitcher, right? So... 34 and two thirds innings. He opponents hit 254 off of him. 
as a whole. He had a 489 ERA with the Dodgers, a 452 FIP, but he was much better served coming out of that bullpen, giving you extended relief. So those are the three guys you're going to be looking at for that number five spot. You're going to be looking at Gavin Stone, Emmett Sheehan, and Ryan Yarbrough. And all those pitchers, they're capable of getting it done. And I think, like I said, don't focus too much on the six-man rotation. Focus on the fact that the rotation is going to look different in the middle of the season. It's going to look different when Gavin L- when Walker Bueller is back. I think the headphones went echoey. When when Gavin uh when uh <laughs> when uh Walker Bueller comes back, Dustin May is gonna be back at some point. Clayton Kershaw could be back towards the end of the year. So yeah, they could also go out there and make a trade. And like I said, a lot of these young guys, they have a lot of talent. You got the Stones, you got the Knacks, you got the Groves, who also is capable of giving you innings. So I don't think that it's absolutely paramount that they go with the six-man rotation. I think that's paramount that you give these young guys opportunities and that these guys are able to stay healthy. So look, I think that Yamamoto early on the year is going to prove what, if there's any doubt against Yamamoto, you're going to see that he's going to put those to bed very quickly because he's someone that I see people, oh, he's 5'10". Why? No, no. This is someone who is lethal. This is someone who can hit 99, who has an incredible pitch mix, fork ball, splitty, curveball, yo-yo curve, cutter, and also he has been durable. 168 innings pitched last season, pitched in the WBC, pitched down the stretch in the Japan series, had 14 strikeouts in game six to force a game seven. So I think that's going to be the big key. And then Glass now, of course, Walker Buehler and Bob Miller emerging. So a lot of questions, but I think on paper, these guys have a ton of talent. Now, a quick one on Yamamoto is Yamamoto revealed why he signed with the Dodgers. And I think it makes a ton of sense because, hey, the Dodgers, they're the best organization right now. I think they're a great fit for him. And we're going to talk about that next coming up on Dodgers Dugout Live. What up, Dodgers Nation? D-Mag here. I'm here to remind you that if you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the number one Dodgers YouTube channel for all latest Dodgers news, rumors, hype videos, interviews, breakdowns, live streams, and more all year long. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. And if you really want to help the channel out, smash that like button. Also, you will not be eligible for any of our giveaways unless you are subscribed to the channel. So all you need to do... And welcome back to a lot... Oh, it's okay again. And welcome back to Dodgers Dugout Live here in a really jam-packed episode because lots of spring notes going down. And real quick about Yamamoto. Yamamoto, when he was asked about why he signed with the Dodgers, he said, I really got the impression that the Dodgers were very successful for a very long time. And just the atmosphere with the organization was really good. So, said a few weeks ago that you have to give Clayton Kershaw credit for Otani, for Yamamoto, because he was the biggest pillar. He was one of the biggest reasons why they had sustained success. And now we've seen Kirsch and Yamamoto and Otani talking about this organization and the sustained success. And yeah, he's going to be massive this season. And don't kid yourself. He's going to be lights out. I mean, the Dodgers made him the highest paid pitcher in the history of baseball, eclipsing Garrett Cole's nine-year $324 million for a reason. 12 years, 325 why did he get that price? Because he was 25 years old. It's very rare that you're going to get a pitcher in his absolute pre-prime, really, at that rate. And, I mean, come on now. A 1-1-6 ERA in 171 innings last season, a sub-2 ERA last three years, 
This guy is going to be a star. Yama Mania is going to be a thing. Now, getting back to the spring training news and notes, I found this one incredibly interesting because you guys know how big of a Miguel Vargas fan I am, how much success I want him to have, and why you should still believe in Miggy Vargas. Well, Juan Toribio, he pointed out in his newsletter that he came into camp as an outfielder, as a outfielder that's trying to carve out his niche defensively there. And last season, he was the Dodgers opening day starting second baseman. He really did not play that position at an average level. He was minus seven outs above average. I've seen people out there saying he played it at an average level. No, he did not. He was not an average second baseman. And look, you have Mookie Betts at second base. You have Gavin Lux, Miguel Rojas, Max Muncy to fill out that infield there. So you really don't have a spot for him there in the infield. And look, if he can figure out the outfield spot, we've seen the Dodgers do that. They did it a couple years ago trying to get Gavin Lux an opportunity to play in the outfield. And AM570's David Vasse, he pointed out on Dodger Talk that Andre Ethier has been working with Miguel Vargas to try to learn the position, to try to improve his ability there in the outfield. I think he can absolutely learn it. But do not kid yourself. The most important thing for Miguel Vargas is can he produce at the plate? Because he just did not do that last season. And if he can produce at the plate whenever he gets his next opportunity, that's ultimately going to determine if he stays on the field or not. Because last season, he did disappoint. Make no mistake about it. Had some stretches. I mean, had a four-hit game, right? But had a pretty decent start. Was taking a lot of walks. But... He struggled. I mean, from May 28th to the All-Star break, he went on a 12 for 93 slump and slashed 129, 250, 258 in 32 games. And you add the fact that he wasn't playing great defense at second base. He was ultimately optioned to AAA after the All-Star game. And that's when, of course, Mookie Betts took advantage and played second, played short. But he did have a really nice showing down at AAA. At AAA, he slashed 288, 407, 479, had a 119 weighted runs created plus. The walk rate was at 16.1%. The strikeout rate at 20%. Hit 10 bombs, 15 doubles in 60 games. All in all for the Dodgers last season, he hit under 200. But he did hit seven home runs. It was only 15. It was only 15% below league average had an 85 weighted runs created plus so he is not as far away as you think had four triples everyone out there saying michael bush michael bush miguel vargas has had more success than michael bush and he's 23 years old so let's not say he's a bust let's not say that miguel vargas can't have success i mean there was a lot of talk that he went back to his swing where he was covering more east west at the minor league level i think that he was overthinking his swing at the big league level. I truly believe that. He was trying to do too much, and the pressure got to him. And sometimes you want to simplify things, and they simplified things for him at the minor league level. And he was back to being one of the best hitters in AAA. So I still think he can have success for the Dodgers. The question is, where does he get his opportunity? Where does he fit in moving forward? And obviously, this year, he's the 27th man on the roster, right? He's the 27th man. There really is no spot on the roster for him now but next season, Teoscar Hernandez probably will be gone. He signed a one-year deal. Manuel Margot has a $10 million club option. There could be an opportunity the following season 
to play in the outfield. Because this season, it's pretty much sewn up. You got Hayward and Margot, Plutonian right. You got James Altman as your starting center fielder. You have Teoscar Hernandez, who's going to be your everyday left fielder. Sometimes we'll play in right field as well, based on the pitcher on the mound. And then you have Chris Taylor, who's going to be filling in spots and plugging in holes all season long in the outfield and in the infield as needed. So really, it's not a spot for him now. But I definitely think that if he has another good year in AAA, one, you can sell him on the fact that, okay, he can't play the outfield. And then teams out there, if you're looking to flip him during the season for a package that is for Devin Williams, Jesus Luzardo, Willie Adamas, Miguel Vargas could be a very attractive prospect because of his age. Okay, we need to get Miguel Vargas right. Do not sell your stock. He is Benny the Jet. But we got uh, some comments I want to get to over here about Miguel Vargas. On a scale of 1 to 10, how high are you? On Miguel Vargas. Are you guys low? We got Alicia v- Ellis Shiva Jones. Vargas got tons of right runway now? last How's year. And he's horrible. Let someone else have a chance. Yeah, I'm not saying this year. I'm not saying this year. I'm saying that the following season, when Teoscar, when Margot are presumably not going to be Dodgers, and you have to fill out some outfield spots, maybe if he builds on the AAA season he had last season, if he has success this year, if he learns the position, maybe he gets an opportunity, or you trade him for a dominant reliever, another starter if you need one, another bat if you need one. So we got Vargas Hubeck for Devin Williams. That's hepatitis. See you later. It's a fire take. We got uh, Vargas. We got the Luis, uh, Luis Serrano. I'm not worried about the starting rotation. I'm worried about the bullpen depth, the relief pitching and closers. Deep in the seventh and beyond looks scary to me in terms of bullpen strength. Look, I mean, you brought back your best reliever from last season in Ryan Brazier. You have Evan Phillips, who's established himself as a top 10 reliever in the sport. Bruce Dark Gratterall is coming off his best season out of the pen. You have Joe Kelly, who's striking out hitters at a higher clip than he ever has. He's throwing as hard as he ever has. JP Fireeyes is going to be a wild card. The organization, the players on the team, they believe that Blake Trinan has a chance to have success. So, yes, you could use another arm, uh, possibly a lefty. If you can get a Tanner Scott, a Devin Williams as a dominant righty, guys like that. Yeah, there is room for improvement there, but I still think that there's a ton of potential to be a strength for this team. We got Sasaki will be icing on the big Dodger blue cake. I love that, Ronnie, over on YouTube. Give me all the Roki Sasaki takes, man. I, it's never too early to talk about a player because what will happen is we'll talk about a player on this show, and then like seven months later, another you know the, the, oh, the rest of the world will find out, and then the player the signs, and then I like to get you guys early on these guys is kind of my point. We were talking about Roki Sasaki with Moda on this show last year, so never forget. Roy Estrada, all teams trying to solidify their rosters for 2024. Then once dust settles, a team will sign Woodrow. I am positive an agreement is in place and waiting for the right time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I mean, Woodrow could help some teams next season. Just a matter of his health, right? Hepatite, Trevor Bauer needs to come back. That's from Troy Reed. The Trevor Bauer situation is fascinating to me because, I mean, if he's willing to pay for the minimum, no teams are out there willing to sign up for the minimum. It tells you a lot about either, A, how Major League Baseball has really communicated the situation to them, or is there just a a type of agreement? I mean, it's just it's just interesting to see what will happen with Trevor Bauer. Will he ever get a chance to pitch again? But uh, Hepatitis Healer, Bobby Miller, and Outman were all that. Sheehan is filthy, too, for sure. This is your confidence level in Miguel Vargas. Justin Lamas has a two. Ronnie has a seven. BC has a four. Conservative Zach has a seven. Cesar has a six. Justin Lamas says, 
Look at what happened when Josiah Gray and Caber Ruiz got traded. Gray became an all-star. Ruiz earned a $50 million extension. They got service time. They got them closer to Arb trade Vargas. I would not rule out a Vargas trade, but guess what? This is an organization. They like to do the fleecing. We call him Andrew Fleeceman for a reason. When he puts on the robe and he sips the water because he usually wins that deal. Well, you win deals by not trading players when their stock is low. You trade players when their stock is high. So I think that, yes, they want Vargas to be a meaningful contributor to this team at some point, but I also think that they want to increase the stock as well. So it benefits the organization. That's the business of it. Cesar says 69, swelling sausage. Watching pitching in spring training didn't get him off to a normal chance. That's a really good point. I mean, the injury that he dealt with where he's just up there taking walks because of the hand injury, I think that you're definitely onto something the with there. We got right Alejandro. This is definitely an every day or a day one here. I'm a faithful Christian. Still so happy about him signing again. He's like the Dodgers, Kobe. That's a fire take. That's a that's a that's a comment show. As a devout Christian myself, Samuel Ellis says a 7.6. Mitchell Hopkins Vargas needs to not swing the bat. He is elite when he doesn't swing. That's a bruh. Put him in a package for Devin Williams. A five from SW1987. Ronnie. Pajes will be in the outfit before Vargas in 2025. Hey, I'm all in on Andy Pajes too. I think the injury set him back, the labrum, but I still think that he has prodigious power. One of the best arms you're going to see out in the outfield. Definitely I'm high on him. Mitchell Hopkins is an eight because he's young. Francisco Diaz, 10. Been on the Vargas hype train since his debut in 22 and still think he has what it takes to contribute in a big way in the future. Okay, so... More out of Camelback Ranch, and this was more of a formality, but now it's official. Gavin Lux has been fully cleared. This is from MLB.com's Juan Toribio. He writes, Lux is one of a handful of position players who arrived at Camelback Ranch a week early for workouts. The 26-year-old met with Dr. Neil Elitroch on Thursday and was fully cleared for all baseball activities. Lux will also not have to wear the knee brace he has been sporting all offseason. So, he suffered a ACL and LCL last spring. It was not a pretty sight. He was trying to duck that throw. I remember he told us after the injury, he should have just worn that and let the guy throw it and maybe get a black guy, but it happened and he was injured and it was a serious knee injury that required a serious rehab. But Gavin Lux has been working like he's got a clone. Okay. Gavin Lux has been out here grinding because he knows the opportunity that's in front of him. He said it himself. It is every baseball player's dream to be the starting shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he is going to get that opportunity. He is going to get that runway. And I think this is the year that either he seizes it or the Dodgers have to have a long conversation and a difficult decision to make regarding that shortstop position. Me personally, I'd bet on Gavin Lux. I would absolutely bet on Gavin Lux to be that long-term solution, he came up as a shortstop. He was a shortstop at the minor league level. He's someone that is athletic. And one thing that no one really talks about, too, is he gives this offense a desperately needed infusion of speed on the base paths. I think that he could score 120 runs this year because we saw the success that he had a few seasons ago when he was batting eighth and he was batting ninth and he was the Dodgers second leadoff hitter that would turn the lineup around for Mookie Betts. How about his clutch hit he had in game five against the Giants in the NLDS? He's someone that has proven himself to be an adequate bat for almost entire season. 
And all he needs to do is prove that he can play shortstop at an average level at the big league level. Because when he was filling up for Corey Seager a few years ago, he did play that position at a below average level. He was the eighth worst shortstop defensively with a minimum of 450 innings that year. But that means nothing now because I think he's a more mature player. I think that you don't have the restriction on the shift. So I think that that doesn't actually hurt Gavin Lux. I think that might add to his value because he is more athletic than a lot of players out there. And that's really what it's going to come down to. Can he hit? If he can hit, you'll live with average to subpar defense, right? We never really complained about Corey Seager's defense. I mean, he never got dirty and he wasn't great with the glove side range, but my man could rake and Lux had a 129 weighted runs created plus batting eighth and ninth. So he's 29% above league average. So I think that he can get it done. It almost reminds me of a backup quarterback who's sitting behind his starter for years and he's just waiting for that opportunity. I mean, how many years did Jordan Love sit behind Aaron Rodgers? How many years did Aaron Rodgers sit behind Brett Favre? They turned out to be pretty damn good quarterbacks. I think Love made a lot of progress this year. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. Not saying that Gavin Lux is going to be the Aaron Rodgers of baseball, but you see the Wisconsin connection there. I think he's going to make the most of this opportunity. And the Dodgers, they're scheduled to have their first full squad workout of spring training on Wednesday today. And they're going to have their Cactus League open on February 22nd. So that really, if you want to rank the storylines for the spring, that has to be right there near the top or at the top. Gavin Lux at the shortstop position. And I think for me to kind of wrap this one up on Lux is how does he feel mentally? When is he going to click in saying, okay, I put in all the work. I've got clearance from doctors. I have the starting spot. But when do I feel right? Is it the first time he slides into second First time he gets down and dirty. The first time he hits a home run. The first time he just grounds one out is the first time he's rounding second into third, the same place that he was injured a few last season. Is that where it is? Because I think that's going to be the big moment for Gavin Lux. When it clicks into place and he builds that confidence and that trust in his knee, then I think he could really take off. So that's really the big story is the number five starter and Gavin Lux at shortstop. Of course, Yamamoto, Otani, new faces, but those are really some of the ones to watch. But Miguel Vargas is a sneaky one too. But coming up next here on Dodgers Dugout Live, we are going to talk more about the jerseys, the uniforms, how they have made significant changes to them. Jason Hayward, he modeled that jersey, had some things to say about it. We've got a jersey ad patch sponsor. We're going to get into that next here on Dodgers Dugout Live. What up, Dodgers Nation? D-Mag here. I'm here to remind you that if you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the number one Dodgers YouTube channel for all latest Dodgers news, rumors, hype videos, interviews, breakdowns, live streams, and more all year long. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. And if you really want so, yeah, we had a little audio difficulties there, but we'll talk about the Jason Hayward one tomorrow and what that entails about the jersey because he was modeling it and he was saying how great it was and how it feels more authentic than the authentic from last season and it almost felt like to me that I don't know if they had Freddie Freeman tied up in the corner or something like that I don't know what it was to get him to say that maybe Nike broke him off some nice dough but no honestly if the players love it if the players feel like it's better from a performance standpoint I can sign off on but if you didn't go back and watch my interview with the World's foremost expert on jerseys, Mr. Paul Lucas. We broke it all down in depth. You don't want to miss that one. I'll put that down below in the description. But those are the big stories today. Actually, we're going to do a little episode of 
designated Twitter. And we're going to get out on this one. It is Valentine's day. I wonder what, what the players are doing. I mean, Valentine's day, Dave Roberts, it's Valentine's day. You know, you got to take your girl out. He's probably going to take a picture out when he's throwing a perfect game <laughs> or when he's dominating in the world series. That's probably what doc's going to do. Just kidding. You know, I love you doc. I love you, Dave. I'm the biggest doc defender there is, but I asked you guys over on Twitter now known as the X. I asked you guys, which Dodger, which Dodger made you fall in love with this team? Which Dodgers player made you fall in love with this organization and got some response. We got Mark. I love this one. It's a fire take from Mark Nakata over on the X. He says, Bobby Valentine. All right. That's fitting. QJ Seal says JT. Show Bear says Corey Seager. LOL. And now Shohei make me fall more. Michael says Sandy and Drysdale. Lincoln says Oral Hershizer. Russell, Mike Piazza and Hideo Nomo. Yes, I cheated. I said too. I don't care. Honestly, Russell, I might be with you on that one. Mike Piazza and Hideo Nomo. Those are my guys when I was a young Dodgers fan. So absolutely, I agree with that one. I think it's okay you dropped two. Evanoso says Kershey. Norma says the only answer is Vin. I think that's a fire take. I mean, that's the Dodgers dugout live comment of the show. Vin Scully made us all fall in love with this game. There's no question about it. Pedro Guerrero from Bangtan Dodgers. Jamie says Fernando Valenzuela. Adam says Kevin Ethier for sure. Paul Quantrill from Wizard. But yeah, drop yours down below. Which Dodger made you fall in love with this team? Let me know down below in the comments section here. We got... Are you guys dropping some serious names here? Let's go down below. Andre Ethier. We got Steve Diaz is Davey Lopes. Of course, Scully from Steve Stell. Lux is a Bears fan, though, from Danny Cortez. He is a Bears fan. That's right. That is right. He is a Bears fan. Lemon uh, 8 jerseys looks better in 2023 for sure. Steve Sachs and Pedro Guerrero for boosters and name the Bulldog Oral Hershizer. Uh, Luis says Kershaw, Ron Say. Okay, and the other one I asked you guys is... Yes, it's Valentine's Day. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Bobby Valentine's Day, Dodgers Nation. So I asked you guys, what do you love most about the Dodgers? I asked you guys over on X. Frederick Cran says ownership and Friedman. C says Shohei Otani. Wow. So right away, Shohei Otani. Michael Heil says, I love that the current ownership group has tried to put the Dodgers at the elite level, even when it means paying the extra taxes. The McCourt years were probably the worst for me as a fan since 66. Thank you, Guggenheim Partners. That one is a fire take for sure, as always, Michael, over on YouTube. And, yeah, you have to point that out, the fact that they're breaking the bank. I mean, they're absolutely spending big. They're already over the Cohen tax level. And this is a Dodgers organization that isn't afraid to spend big. They weren't afraid to spend big even last year when they had to pay $19.4 million in luxury tax. But this season, you're probably going to pay, I mean, crunch the numbers around $61 million, 60.8 to $61 million. That's how much they're going to have to pay because they're above that 410% tax rate because of all the talent they brought in. I think that is a fantastic point because the Dodgers, they love to win. They also love money, too. And they are still a profitable organization. So as much money as they're spending, they're still very much not in the red. But Jay says only that their heart 
is the best team in Major League Baseball. Not that much. James Choi, that this organization doesn't have tracking players. Spencer, my president of baseball operations. I love this one. Ron Coase says, Gavin Lux is facial Absolutely. Gavin Lux is the best facial expressions. He definitely does. He always has like the surprised ones. I love Gavin Lux's facial expressions. I'm glad that we got those back. I think we're having some audio issues again. So we are get, we're going to just, uh, uh, we're going to double audio. Okay. So we're going to learn, we're going to do, we're going to pro audio. Okay. Sorry guys. So we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Dodgers dugout live. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers nation YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, hit that like button and a happy Valentine's day. Dodgers nation. By the way, I saw like the the people that do like their hearts like this today. I mean, I see like the young people. I don't know. I, I don't even never never done a heart. I mean, I'm, even, I'm like the Grinch, you know. But um, weird news. Yeah, we're gonna get to the bottom of these audio issues for tomorrow's. But you know what make my heart full is if you guys subscribe to the channel, you hit that like button, you hit that heart, and also that the Dodgers win a World Series and we send Clayton Kershaw out the right way with the parade, with some champagne. And yes, he still could come back for 2025. But we need another World Series title. But thank you guys so much for rocking with us. As always, my name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, remember, nothing brings us together quite like Dodger baseball. And until next time, think blue. I like this food. Travis Darno made me a fan. Tio says my dad got me into the Dodgers. I love that. But that's going to do it for this episode. And until next time, think blue.